that I'm stepping in today for Rebecca, who many of you will know that she lost her beloved nephew on the day he was born last month. So <laughs> she's, she's not in an emotional state to present today, and we released her of that and totally understand. Um, so that put me in this position of um, filling a, a spot with whatever God was going to give me, download for me today. And I just love confirmation. So I had confirmation yesterday with something and just um, what Kareen has put together here. Mm -hmm. Where are you, Kareen? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure everyone can identify with something that she's put together for us because we are God's beloved daughters. And I think I'll get myself more central. Um, I took my blue jacket off. Disclaimer, thanks Miriam. <laughs> Disclaimer, it is not a representation of anything. <laughs> and nor is Lazan's dress. <laughs> just saying, just saying. It's, it means nothing, and I'm not saying a word. And I hope you've done your civil, civil civic duty today, or in the last while. <laughs> I voted on Friday week before. Um, speaking of uh, self-deprecation, I, I just want to... Um, that jacket is from Valentine's. We had a fundraiser for um, a, the care centre that I work for, and I thought, oh, I really like that jacket, and I love the blue. But as I was trying to sell tickets for this fundraiser at King's Church about a month ago, Pam said, oh, I can't go, but ask this lady here. So I turned to this lady here and said, would you like tickets to the fundraiser for Valentine's? And she said, oh, when is it? And Pam's laughing. But she said, you're talking to Eunice Ballantyne. <laughs> <laughs> she got me a really good <laughs> So I'm going to turn this on. It's the middle button. Oh, this side? Oh, it buzzes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to keep um, ahead of technology, but um, I have a husband who pushes me, but we still had to call on him today to get the PowerPoint to this laptop because it wouldn't come from here. Because I changed it. Because God changed his message. <laughs> he changed it for you. But just a little bit about myself. I do have a, a creaky throat um, and whatever. <laughs> So, um, this is my family. This was taken three years ago, so there's another grandchild added, but they are my biological children and partners. And I'll get to that in a bit. So, I've got two sons who live in the UK. One settled in Manchester and the other is in London for probably another year and hoping not to get COVID. And um, they've just gone into more lockdown, more tears. <coughs> so, it's pretty, pretty tough for them over there. Um, and my daughter lives in Tower with her two grandchildren, her two children, my, my granddaughters. But I also have another family, <coughs> and that is Gary's family. And he's also got um, a daughter and two sons, and they all now live in New Zealand, but they've all lived overseas in the past. And we've got three grandchildren with them, and one on the way due in March. Has <coughs> <coughs> um, this been recorded? Thank you. Um, so they've all got partners and husbands and wives and um, 
we, we don't get to combine them a lot because we're all over the place, but when we do, we have a good time together. And these are our mokopuna, and this is the little scan of the one underneath. Now, it's not to say, this is my life and my world, but it is my life and my world, and it's one I've inherited, really. Um, we've got these amazing grandchildren who we give a lot of time to, um, and they actually mean quite a lot to us, and that is our journey. <coughs> So, oh, that's really interesting. I'll come back to that. I was the second daughter to a mother who wanted only a son. Mm. And so on my little spirit, there was a sense of rejection right from the start. Now, it's not my mother's fault. It's what my mother wanted was the son. And the son came after me and she stopped having children after that because she had her son. But over me in my whole childhood, <coughs> right up into my adulthood, was a sense of rejection on my soul that I had no understanding of it. But when I look back, after recognising that, I see that every response I had to every person in my life was out of rejection. <coughs> um, so I, I grew up, um, I was always in the shadow of my brother, who I still love, and he's still a rogue. <laughs> he's just an um, incredible person. Um, but I, I made choices in my early adulthood out of rejection as well. And it was just, as I said, a shadow on my life. <clears throat> so one of the several of the things that I um, was in the shadow of were these things. So, <coughs> I swiped here, didn't I? Oh, thank you, Hannes. Um, I was at times anxious. I sought acceptance. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I would probably dance to it. <laughs> I felt a fraud because I'm a very capable person and people would see that, but underneath, I felt a fraud because I didn't feel capable underneath. I didn't feel worthy underneath. I had a real need to be needed. I had a very low sense of self-worth. <clears throat> I was often fearful, fearful of acceptance or not being accepted, and I often felt on the outside. I was easily embarrassed. I was abandoned by friends at school and treated quite harshly by one, and I became a people pleaser with no boundaries, so I'd say yes to everything, and I didn't know that I was being trampled on. I allowed, I allowed people to trample on me. And shame was a big thing as well. And I did try to impress because I was capable, so I used that as my armour to impress. But what I didn't know and didn't recognise at the time <coughs> was that God has always been after me. Mm -hmm. Always been after me. Yes. I didn't know it. I didn't have an idea of it. I had no idea. He was a removed God for me. He was one who was up there. I had an Anglican faith growing up and I married a Catholic and that's all I knew was a, a God to please. Even though I had a real heart for him and I had Jesus in me, it was a heart to please this removed figure and I didn't know that God was actually pursuing me. <clears throat> but I love this scripture from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is there all the time. He was there, why are we going back, 18, nearly 19 years ago. He placed me out of the Catholic family church I was involved in into a Baptist church in Karori in Wellington. And that happened when I was invited to a women's retreat. And I went up to our rancho late with a friend who had invited me and I walked in and I was overwhelmed by the worship. Mm. Women worshipping together is pretty powerful. It was just incredible. And then what really impacted me was that they were ministering to one another. And they could do it with one another, not with a priest or a deacon. But women were ministering to each other and people were being impacted. And... I had been on retreats earlier than that. I had even been part of the Marian uh, movement for women with the Catholic Church and presented retreats at Fortuna and Karori. But there was no ministry like I felt and I received on this particular weekend. So I started going to that church. And this is um, 19 years after I first married. So I, I married as a 20-year-old. And at 25, 27, and 30, I had three children. And my life was good. And it was successful, and I was busy. I was an at-home mum. I did lots of stuff. Um, I was in the fitness industry. Uh, my former husband was successful financially, being an entrepreneur, and life was good. We celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, and three weeks later, and I say this tongue firmly in cheek, I was fired. <coughs> And um, I, I say it in that way because I'm not going to go into the details. <laughs> um, and you don't need to know that. But my married life was everything to me. It became and had been my idol. And suddenly, I, my biggest fear of losing the man I thought, well, I did love, and my marriage happened. And all those emotions and feeling of shame and failure and fraud came up in front of me. The rejection was devastating, absolutely devastating. But what I hadn't realised, well, I was beginning to realise at the time, was actually God had already placed me in a safe church environment with safe women who then helped me and began a journey with me through the darkest three years of my life. And... Um, what I'm amazed about is this here. Look at that cross there that Karine put up. Mm. It's shattered. Mm. We come all broken, and our lives can be broken, and my life just shattered to pieces. I lost so much, <clears throat> and that's what it felt like, was such a broken window. My perfect, idolised life just cracked to pieces. And I love the fact that that cross is cracked because we come cracked to a cross. But Jesus is the perfect one who will redeem us and bring our mirror back to absolute purity and perfection in his face, before his face. So he surrounded me by six amazing women who just supported me through these years of my life. And one in particular who I just really honoured her as my big auntie, I guess. Um, she was a spiritual director and wanted to do some IDT with me. That's interactive drawing therapy. 
and I was not into this mambo-jambo stuff at all, but I did. I, I humoured her, uh, how profound this was. <coughs> so she would ask me questions, and I would put in, I would just draw it. I just drew, and what shaped out of that, this is not the original one, <laughs> I, I threw it out, but what shaped out of that was that I was, uh, had gone through a broken heart, I was really sad, I was really angry and I was incredibly bitter and unforgiving. Just bitter at the betrayal and everything that was thrown at me and everything that was taken away at the choice of one person and that was the person I had loved for 20 years. So there are dark clouds over that. I'm climbing this mountain. But as she kept asking me questions, there was a sense that that mountain was going to finish and I was going to get to the top and it was going to be hard but over the top, there was going to be a new season. I had no idea that would, what that would look like, but there was a new season that I was going to be moving into. <clears throat> and so I had drawn a sun there because it just was light and it was hope. And it was all those things that I was yearning to have. And I still had a sense that God was there, but I still hadn't had a sense of his total love for me. I guess my identity was in my losses and my um, marriage and my dysfunction of rejection and abandonment and I didn't understand the perfect father's love for me. And I still struggle with that to be honest, even being up here. It, it can be like you're a fraud. But God's put me here and he just said to me, tell a story. So forgive me if many of you have probably heard it but you've got it in more detail today. <laughs> So, I love this one, and um, it's, a, it's a verse that people know. <coughs> I think we can read the Bible and go, yep. But sometimes we read the Bible and go, oh, there's a truth. We know it's all truth, but it's got to get from here down to here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I, you know, when we've just been singing those amazing songs this morning, we sing them and they're truth, but sometimes I'm singing thinking, it's not me. We are a child of God. We are children of God. We are daughters of God. We are princesses of the high most king. And sometimes it doesn't feel like our truth. Because we know it here, we want an opportunity to bring it into here. And that's a work in progress for me. I'm on a road. I'm on a road. It's a long road. But there was one little um, scripture that um, did make me laugh. She is clothed in strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. That's the, that scornful laugh. I don't fear the future because God is my Father, my Heavenly Father. So, uh, 12 years ago, in fact, 12 years ago next week, after knowing Gary for a couple of years but he'd moved away and it was just in, in church circles. Our pa my pastor at the time played Cupid <laughs> and 
uh, we got together and four months later we were married. <coughs> so it was a bit of a God thing. The background to that is that when I first met him, <coughs> I'm going to go back further. I had six years on my own as a single mum of two teenage boys and a daughter who'd left home who was 19. She had actually moved to Australia. Their dad had moved to another city in Australia. So I was raising these boys. I was not interested in meeting anyone or being with anyone while I'm raising two teenagers, one with mental health issues, um, to raise them without adding another person in the mix that would just change the dynamic. So I wasn't interested. I didn't date. I didn't care. But in 2006, this new chap was sitting in my seat. <laughs> and I was late, and the only spot to get into was next to this chap. And didn't look at him, I was just aware of a new person. Two impressions came into my mind. One was, this is a godly man, and the second was, he is hurting. And my response to God was, what's it got to do with me? <laughs> but it didn't go away, so I did make inquiries, and he was coming out of a marriage and working hard to restore his marriage and he was in a really dark place so I just knew that this was something that I didn't know what it was about but I was encouraged just pray for him so I prayed for his marriage two years later two and a half years later we we're engaged so God knew that I didn't but when it did happen when we did get together it was it was just God all the way through and I would never recommend getting engaged after four weeks and getting married after four months, ever. <laughs> it's just crazy. It really is crazy. And that's 12 years ago. So, and he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our adventure began. I love travel, and I travelled a lot in my earlier years and with my family, my kids, because they've got Hungarian heritage. So we went back to Hungary. We had relatives in the UK. Travelling all the time and loved it. <clears throat> And um, I even, God blessed me with travel and doing some mission work as a single woman as well, with a solo mum, for want of a better word. And then marrying Gary, thinking, oh, it's got to be worth it because I'm going to have least choice. I loved doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And now I had to compromise. <laughs> but we did get to travel and we managed to do some mission, short-term mission in the Philippines and in Macau. Um, a little bit in Hong Kong, but that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it, in Hong Kong mission, but um, there's an amazing place there where people come out of there from, um, who's heard of, oh, I forgot her name, anyway, the Lord City, Hollinger, Jackie Hollinger, yeah, yeah, so we had a bit of involvement with ex-prisoners out of there, ex-prisoners, ex-convicts, ex-addicts, <laughs> we'll get there in the end. Why I say prisoners is we were in a prison where they were ministering to people in a prison. So I've had some amazing adventures with Gary. We thought we were being called to overseas mission, and that's why we did the travelling. <coughs> what God was calling Gary and me, perhaps, but more Gary back to, was ministry here in Wellington or here in Porirua. So we settled into a new life, and I had the road running, and three years into it, Gary suffered burnout, which was a bit of a shock. Now, I don't know if anyone's experienced burnout or anyone with it. Um, I would just say that they're very grey-looking, they're quite depressed, and they can't get out of bed much. And it's a really tough journey as a spouse or a partner or um, a family member to help someone through that, uh, because you just have to let them be and not be on their journey without saying, get out of bed, or can't you do this? But you just got to love them through some very dark times. And that went on for about 18 months. <clears throat> and 
as part of um, his restoration and, and taking time out to reflect, he was encouraged to walk the Camino, uh, El, El Camino de Santiago across the top of Spain. Has anyone heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a 500 mile or 800 kilometre trek across the northern parts of Spain. Looks something like this. Those are the other trails that, or, or pilgrim, um, pilgrim ways that come down, but essentially, now I'm going to use this. Is it, no, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So about there is where we started in um, St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port. We came up over the Pyrenees and then trekked along all the way through towns and cities and rural parts to Santiago where the supposed James, um, bones of St. James are buried. Supposedly, I say, because... <laughs> Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> um, so it was really in three parts. It was a five-week journey. We did it in the minimum-ish time, so we had allowed ourselves two rest days. There was a sense of enthusiasm that would come into it, leaving our world behind, and it took a while to leave that behind. The middle bits was about being present in the moment, and the last bit was actually starting to look ahead of what we might be going back to and how we might be finishing. Look, it was really flipping hard. We came to the end of ourselves, and it was only on day four, we were so exhausted and so blistered, we couldn't even talk to each other. <laughs> it was just so wretched, and so we had to take an unscheduled stop just to take the weight off our bodies, because we were walking 25 to 30 k's a day, day after day after day. So we, we rested there in a beautiful place called Astia, and then we were able to carry on and we sort of fudged our second rest day by bussing into a city and out and having two nights and one day there. So we weren't cheating, we were just resting, we decided so. <laughs> we wanted to have a real pilgrim experience, so we had our everything on our backpacks up to nine kgs. And we didn't know, we, we guessed where we might want to stay, we had planned ahead, but we didn't know where we would be staying necessarily at the end of each day. And our days looked something like this. Have a read when I have a drink. <coughs> so it was a bit of a rhythm, really. One of the most fantastic things about northern Spain is every village has a cafe where they give you café con leche. And I would have my café con leche every morning to keep me going. Uh, we would shower at the end of the day, but it was really just you get up, you gather up everything, you stick it in your backpack, and you walk. And some days it was great, and other days it was just get your head down and get walking. Um, we were <coughs> moving into summer as well, so the mornings got lighter and lighter, and we were getting up earlier and earlier. And we've got, that's, that's a whole other story, I've got a whole other story about that, but you're not going to get it today. <laughs> but there is one story of this that I do want to share with you. This is... Um, what it looked like. So that's Gary with all his possessions on his backpack and his Nordic pole. And that was a, I think in the Meseta, I can't remember where that one was. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but it was just, you just trudged. And sometimes there'd be cafe stop, other times there wouldn't be. Actually, I remember one time, it, it was the biggest day where there was 15 k's between any uh, village. So you had to pack your lunch, pack, make sure you had enough water trudging along, there's a sign there that says four k's to cafe, I'm going, huh? then three k's, then two, then one, and there was a caravan 
<laughs> and it was an ex-pilgrim who'd walked it before decided <gasps> that's where they needed to have it. Oh. It was perfect, so we, we went there, but there was no ablution, so I went behind a bush, <laughs> took my glasses off, because I, I wear contacts now, but I had glasses then, and I put them down. Oh. Oh. And I come out from the bush going, I've broken my glasses. Oh. And they just, yeah, they were wrecked, but we were able to tie them together and keep them going. Oh. <laughs> it's like, you know, like despair. I'm in, I'm in Spain, I'm not there. You know, a place with um, OPSM, and I can't see. <laughs> you know, these little things that are so upsetting. Um, there was uh, about a third of the way in, though, we were approaching this cone hill to a village that we decided to stay in a um, rural casa, so just a, a farm, oh, well, farm stay, but it was a house with a bedroom in it that we could stay. So every now and then we'll just stop where we could have dish it, uh, wash our clothes and um, just be in a double bed together rather than bunks with strangers either side of you. <coughs> As I said, a whole other story. So we um, went along the road to this beautiful village that was on the cone top, and that was the view that we had out the back on a terrace. To the right of that picture, could, I've turned it here. <laughs> to the right of that picture is the table mountain that we were going to be climbing, or hill, in our New Zealand speak hill, they call it mountain, up to, um, to get over to the next plane on the following morning. So we had a look at that and we thought, oh yeah, we can do that. So we set off the next morning and trudged along a really boring route and it was hard, our feet were sore. We just literally just put one foot in front of the other and it got to the point, and this is really rare, my husband could not believe it, that me, the extrovert, who's got X amount of words to share a day, stopped talking. And that was like, that's a miracle anyway itself. I was just in the moment. Um, and it's a very spiritual um, pilgrimage, and not in that you have a sense of God in you um, in remarkable ways, but your interaction with his nature, with his creation, with all the beautiful parables that you can see, like the weeds growing up among the wheat, like ants on a trail across being community together as they're moving across a path, like the dead frogs that were like this. <laughs> it always seemed to be like in a dance when they were squashed by people. <laughs> um, so we climbed the next day up to this hill and we just paused to look back of where we had come from. You can see the other side of the Cone Hill mountain and the top of the rise that we had come up. And we stopped and looked back and <clears throat> it was utterly beautiful. That photo does not give it justice. It was the most amazing, beautiful plane that we had walked through. And at the time, as we trudged and we trudged, I had no sense of that beauty, none whatsoever. It was just hard work. But it was sort of like, that's God's perspective. He was looking down at the beauty of our journey. Our journey for that day, our journey for the 35, day, uh, 35 weeks, 35 days. There's beauty in it from God's perspective, God's vision. But that wasn't all because we, it was a bit of a plateau so it took a little bit to come onto the next um, area to look forward to the next valley or plain 
And this is what we came to. Mm. Utterly beautiful, completely different. Utterly beautiful. And we were just really in awe. But what struck me there was a revelation, two actually. One was my IDT drawing. My hard <coughs> journey up the mountainside to the top. And if I had looked back, and as I can look back in my memory bank, there was beauty in the journey. It was really hard working, walking through that life. It was really deep. <coughs> it was horrible. But God saw the beauty in it, and it was phenomenal of that revelation being on top of this hill and looking back and realising that God saw the beauty in the hardship of my life on those three to four incredibly difficult years. <coughs> what he also showed me was that my next season was still going to be beautiful. Didn't matter how hard it was going to be, didn't matter what I was going to go through, that my husband was going to have burnout. There's still beauty, there was still this high level of God seeing the beauty in my journey. I just found this scripture here. I pray that, this is from um, Paul, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, particularly the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. We are his saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. A real sense that God is so much bigger than the path that we're walking that when we are going through life or for one step in front of the other and not knowing where we're going to be walking to, and some of, we might, some of us in seasons do and some of us in seasons don't, God's got this amazing level, amazing perspective and vision of our power. And he knows where we're going to go and we all know where we're going to end up. And if we believe us in Jesus, we're going to be with him in heaven and that's going to be glorious. But we can also have his glory on earth as we go through the stuff of life. The words that we were singing about being loved by God often is um, a difficult truth for me to have. <coughs> Still, I'm on a journey. We're all on a journey. And it means that God's got more work to do in me. And for all of you as you sang today, and I don't know, I have my, about you, I have my tissues out <laughs> today. Um, it's understanding and knowing the truth in our hearts that God loves us, that we are his precious daughters. doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter where we've come from, doesn't matter what life we've had before. He just wants to be in relationship with us. He just wants <coughs> us as his daughters. And it's a hard thing to think that he delights in us. My earthly dad... I'm sure he delighted in me, but he was a journalist, and whenever I'm blabbing a story to this introvert father of mine, I'd be corrected on my grammar every step of the way. Mm. And I get what he was doing, and it helped me, but he wasn't hearing me. Mm. But the truth is that God hears me. God hears you, and he loves you. And I just want to put these truths up. Because you are who God loves. He 
He is your father. Some of us have probably had amazing earthly fathers. They're not perfect. They've got their own stuff. And our earthly father is perfect. Our heavenly father <laughs> is perfect. And he loves us. You know, he chose us before we were born. He chose us before we were conceived. I was born as a second daughter to a mother who wanted a son. But God chose me. God already had that. <clears throat> you are his precious daughter. Let that be your truth. And if you're thinking, I want to believe it, but I can't, you're on a journey today. And what I love about retreat day, well, I call them retreat days, sorry, but conference days for women, particularly when it's about God and his glory, is that we start at the beginning of the day with beautiful worship, beautiful truth in the songs, and we journey through to the end. And you're going to be changed by the end of the day because God is going to speak into each and every one of you in the way that you need to hear from him today. And I reckon there will be a take-home from every session that you go to. Something that will be a revelation, something that will be a truth, because you are God's precious daughter. And he wants the best for you. And we've had people in our lives who haven't wanted the best for us. And the enemy certainly doesn't want the best for us. But God does. And we've got the victory in him straight up. We're still in the battle, but we've got the victory through Jesus. And no matter what happens to us, at us, about us, things that we do, doesn't stop God loving us, doesn't stop us being his precious daughter, doesn't stop him wanting the best for us. Wow, you bring him glory. <clears throat> when I think of the uh, times I've had, I certainly haven't brought God glory. But there's a crown on all of our heads, and it's his crown that he's put on it. And we bring him glory. We bring him pleasure. Um, I was listening to something recently and it just struck me. It was an explanation or writer on the disciple John. And if you've read the book of John in some translations, it's um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there are thoughts that scholars think, what, you know, was he being arrogant? I know that Jesus loves, he loves me more than everyone else. Or was it the humility of a man who goes, he loves me. Jesus loves me. God loves me. Maybe that was his truth. He, God, loves you. He 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 loves you, Fiona. He loves you, Helen. He loves you, Joe. He loves you, Fifi. He loves you, Lausanne, Marianne, Lorraine. I can name all of you, some I can't. 
But in the getting it, hearing it, God loves you. He really loves you. And you are worthy, worthy of his love. You're worthy of his love because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. You are weary. Nothing you do can make him love you less. Nothing you do can make him love you more because he loves you. And that's a truth for you today. Now what was really beautiful was what McKenna um, shared before. Um, and I thought about how heavy my handbag is. <laughs> <laughs> and Marianne's trailer load and our package that we bring. It's a beautiful thing, some of the prayer therapy or prayer, freedom prayer that we do of what we call the exchange. We hand over to God the junk, but we wait with open hands to see what God's got for us. And it's always an upgrade. So I'm gonna ask you to respond not by coming forward. Now's not your time. <laughs> Unless you want to. <laughs> I want you to close your eyes when I tell you. Not yet. <laughs> I feel like a teacher. <laughs> not yet. I'm just giving instructions. <laughs> I want you to sit and open your hands with your eyes closed and give God just a <coughs> the junk. Give him your junk in your trailer, in your bag, in your backpack, in your trolley case. Give him all the black clouds that have assailed you this week or the season of your life that you're in. Hand it over to him, everything. Just say, don't want it. And then I want you to sit and wait on him and let him speak to your mind and words or pictures or impressions or music, whatever way God speaks with you. He will talk to you right now and if there's something that has been stirred up in what I've shared just now I want you to use that time to allow someone to come and minister to you now you don't need people up front for that we can all minister to one another we are all sisters together and God's given us the mantle to be ministers to one another so if you're feeling that there's something going on for you now Tap a person on the shoulder and pray, or be prayed for. So now, <laughs> you may close your eyes. Just close them, hand it over to God. And we're just going to spend some moments allowing that to happen. <laughs>